Hello, and an incredibly warm welcome back to The Gold Podcast. We are finally back in the recording studio after our season break, and very happy to be back with season five. How time flies. I can't believe we're on season five already. I'm Isabella O'Brien, assistant editor here at Gold, and I am joined as ever by my co-host and Gold's editorial executive, Jade Williams. Yes, hello. It's definitely nice to be back on the airwaves and I really hope you all enjoyed our latest bonus episode looking back at the highlights of season four. Do check that out if you haven't already. Yes, please do. But for today, we are kicking off the season with a bang. So I'm very excited to share a conversation I had with Philippe Kirby, who is the Global Head of Channel Engagement and Execution at MSD. Now, a little more about Philippe for those of you who don't know him. Philippe has been with MSD for over 25 years, which is a very impressive tenure, and he's recently taken on a new role as Global Head of Channel Engagement and Execution in April of this year. He is a customer engagement and technology enthusiast, and he's also a familiar face on the farmer conference circuit, president of a basketball club, and a self-confessed wine lover. That's right. And while we didn't quite manage to get on to talking about our mutual love of wine, we did get a chance to talk about his appearance at April's Reuters Barcelona event. I was there and he gave a presentation on the relationship between customer experience and compliance, a topic he does return to in the interview. But for this, I wanted to invite him on to discuss the topic of customer experience more broadly. Expect insights into what the industry is getting right, where it's going wrong and where he sees the focus shifting in the future. By the way, apologies if the quality isn't our usual standard. We had a bit of trouble accessing our podcast platform, but all the same, fantastic insights to be heard from Philippe. Sounds great. Let's listen in. So Philippe, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It is lovely to have you on. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Uh, delighted to be here as well. Um, have a lot of things to exchange, I'm sure, on the subject of customer experience. Wonderful. Well, that is exactly what we would like to speak to you about today. So mm-hmm. the theme of today's conversation is getting to grips with customer experience. This is obviously hugely important for any business, but increasingly so in pharma, as there is a really enduring appetite for those digital interactions, which need a really solid customer experience built around them. So before we get into the nitty gritty of how the industry can actually serve up these great customer experiences, let's look at the here and now. What do you think marketing teams are getting right at the moment in this realm? And what do you think they're getting wrong? Uh, I think you start off with something which is very important, which will be kind of at the heart of the subject, which is digital. So we'll definitely get there. I think that the farmer marketers have made great strides over the last few years. And the pandemic definitely reinforced the need for CX and digital first approaches. Um, But in my opinion, it's been more the digital side that has dominated um, over the last uh, last few years. What I mean by that is there's been too much of a focus on digital engagement and probably not enough on CX as a capability or as a technique, if you will. Uh, You may have heard of a company called DT Associates who produce every year a a report on the state of CX in the pharma industry. They're very specialized in that. Um, They are CX, they have CX expertise within that company, of course, advise companies on CX. But this report is always very interesting. So they will go and and do some surveys across the industry 
sometimes they will interview customers like HCPs, but also, of course, they will uh, interview pharma executives. In the 2021, their report really caught my eye. So we were right in the midst of the of the pandemic. Uh, and of course, everybody was fleeing to digital engagement as an option to engage with customers since face to face was completely out of the question. Um, and thankfully, you know, quite a few companies had already invested in digital engagement capabilities, which made it so that, you know, we could actually yes, still continue to engage with our customers. In that report, um, DT Associates highlighted this you know, investment in digital and digital engagement capabilities. So uh, virtual events, web, email, et cetera, were top of the list um, in terms of investing. So everybody in farm was in investing in digital engagement capabilities. At the bottom of that list was CX and um, inter channel integration. Mm -hmm. um, so you were thinking, okay, well, everybody's trying to do digital. And of course, it means there's going to be a glut of uh, digital information or digital communications that are going to come at our HCPs that we're all targeting in one shape or form or another. Um, but at the same time, we weren't thinking about the customer experience side of things. And then if you think of channel integration, which means that you try to manage or, or install a sort of a seamless uh, communication with your customers across all the channels, that you know immediately kind of says, okay, wait a minute. There's a there's an imbalance that's being created. So very big focus on digital, but not really enough on the customer experience side of things. So I and and to me this this um, imbalance still exists to some extent. Uh, so you mentioned that you know the Reuters event uh, at one point, um, and I was there at the pharma the last pharma Barcelona event, and um, AI dominated conversation. So artificial intelligence applications such as NBA or NBE, next best engagement, next best action, are, are really applications that would contribute to CX, but real CX itself, there were only very few presentations on customer experience. And in some uh, dinner conversations that I had with some peers in the industry, uh, you know, we all remarked on that, said, oh, you know, wow, you know, CX is, is, is maybe not enough of a focus, um, and it was not really as strong a focus as AI, as I just mentioned. So um, I think that's really one of the things that we would need to rebalance, if you will, within our marketing approaches and for marketing in general and say, okay, great that we're investing so much in digital, we're figuring out ways to do digital first approaches, uh, but let's get back to something which is more balanced in terms of how, how we actually engage with customers. And that includes on the face-to-face -face side, um, because the mix has come back in again, face-to-face -face is still present, definitely not as much as pre-pandemic, but it's still there. So how do we manage that kind of mix now of both digital and face-to-face -face as uh, as best as possible and make sure that the, the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, so to speak. So if a rep is engaging with a customer, sends them an email, um, and we at the same time are running a digital campaign with a marketing automation capability, which also sends emails, we need to make sure that, you know, we both know that that engagement is already occurred. So either the pharma rep has engaged with their customer once already, so you should be sending another email. Or the other way around, if we have a campaign that has been sending emails to customers, the rep should know that they've already received an email in the same week and therefore not be you know, seen to be spanning the customer. That's an example. So much more this kind of omni-channel approach, which is another buzzword that you probably have heard a lot over the last uh, few months. Um, so this omni-channel approach, how we orchestrate that, I think really is, is starting to you know, be something that, that is taking hold. Um, what I, you know, I do see light at the end of the tunnel, though, in the sense that 
we're starting to invest more. We're seeing an industry, and that came up a little bit, into measurement of our customer engagement, measurement of our CX, what's the experience of our customers. So you will have heard um, of, you know, some some surveys and, and other techniques to, to be able to get to that. But I think just putting that measurement in place and saying we're going to use that measurement to drive our customer experience and our digital approaches is really a sign that we're going in the right direction. Um, and so, you know, data-driven customer experience, I think, is kind of like the next frontier, the next thing that we'll see that we'll be investing in, and that will re-establish that balance between digital communications or engagement on the channel communications, I should say, and the customer experience. Really interesting. And I want to talk a little bit later about how you can gather that data from healthcare professionals about what's working and what's not. Mm -hmm. But I like what you said there about treating CX as an isolated focus, its own thing that needs to be prioritized. For my next question, I want to know what company doesn't have to be in pharma do you think does this really well? They treasure their customer experience. They prioritize it. Obviously, we hear examples of Tesla, Uber, all these big companies. But is there one you've mm -hmm. encountered recently that you would pick out? And what do you think pharma could learn from them? So so actually, um, as I was... Uh, and as I think about this question, I, I struggle to really find something recent, to, to be quite honest. In fact, I've had uh, a few negative experiences with, with airline companies and some other mm -hmm. uh, some other companies. And, I, and I'm sure there's something that we can learn from that, too. Um, but one um, golden standard, which seems to be consistent throughout, whether it's in the past or now, is, is still to me Amazon, you know, which is a company you love to hate, uh, especially over the recent <laughs> the recent years. Uh, there was a spike during the pandemic and then after the pandemic. But they, they still are so good in communicating with their customers very constantly. So you always know what's going on. You know, you, there's no um, kind of blank or uh, no answer to a question or something like that. And and something as simple as saying, even though they're a digital first company, you know, they really rely on web, email, and an app, and that's pretty much it in terms of communication with their customers. If you really are in trouble, you still have access to to a hotline. Um, so they really make it easy for customers to work with them. Their goods return process is incredible. It doesn't happen to me too often, but if you really need to return a good, they make it easy for you. So that I think is the bottom line. You know, how do we make it easy for our customers to engage with us, to buy products from us, and then if there's a problem, to solve the problem. Uh, so that still remains a sort of a gold standard. Um, and then another one, uh, and this happened many years ago, but I, if you think about it, it still should happen now, and probably even more important now, since we have so many more channels of communication and engagement with customers, uh, mobile, not mobile, email coming from a person, email coming from a system, um, web pages that, you know, just all sorts of different types of web pages. We need to, again, make it, you know, as simple as possible for a customer to navigate all those channels and not to have to go through all sorts of hoops to be able to engage with us. Um, so the, the, the example here is Apple. Um, so I, I've been, I'm a long-term Apple customer. I ordered stuff through their online store, their online Apple store. Um, and then one day I walked into an Apple store in New York. And um, and it, it, it was probably one of my first times actually walking into Apple store because I'd practically always done everything online. And I walked in and I was just looking very specifically um, for you know, a, a charger because I'd lost my charger and an adapter and it was in the US and I don't live in the US usually, so I, I was missing some items. 
And um, so I go and there's these people walking around and they have their tablets, of course, and you know, you can, they're customer service people. And at one point, so I'm interested in buying, and I, you don't even have to walk, walk up to a cash register, right? You know, they can, they can process your order and make, have you pay right there. You don't have to, to go and stand in line or anything like that. It's actually pretty cool. Um, so anyway, I say, yeah, you know, I'd like to, to buy these. Okay, and hand him my credit card. Um, and he processes my credit card and, and he goes, okay, would you like me to send you your, in, my, your invoice by email? I go, okay, that's interesting. I just gave him my credit card. I did not you know, give him my name or anything like that. So they'd actually linked my credit card. I'd made all the purchases online to my Apple ID, my profile and all that. And they're saying, you know, that's it. You're identified already. You don't need to re-register. Give me your email or something like that. We already know you. And if you think about a great experience, that would be it. Um, and in terms of pharma, we engage with multiple different customers. So we enroll, uh, we enroll physicians for clinical trials, and at the same time, we'll have a commercial relationship with them. So if we already have a, a commercial relationship with them, and we have their email address and their credentials, and you're trying to enroll them for a clinical trial, why would you ask them to re-register? You would just say, oh, give me your email. Say, okay, we already know you, that's fine. Now here's all the details, just validate. So it's this notion of making it simple for a customer to engage with you, um, which I think we would definitely want to apply. You know, again, wherever they come from, whatever channel they're coming from, whichever function or division um, of the company that they're uh, coming from, you know, they really want to look at us as a company and not, oh, this is commercial, this is uh, medical, this is manufacturing. They really want to just engage with the company and should make it simple for them to do that. Yeah, again, that's really interesting. I guess it's making it simple, but also doing a lot of that groundwork for them. So it is a completely easy mm -hmm. process to interact, which clearly is the gap that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Talking of healthcare professionals, so you mentioned surveys earlier as a way companies can gather feedback on whether their initiatives are working. Obviously, mm -hmm. surveys have been around for a long time. Is there anything else that you have found to be effective in really gauging insights that can shape customer engagement or customer experience strategies? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so first, I will talk a little bit about surveys because um, like many companies, we invest uh, in, in metrics such as CSAT, customer satisfaction, um, NPS, net promoter score, and so on. And um, in fact, probably net promoter score is overused or misused maybe is the, is, I don't know which term is the more appropriate, um, in a sense that we have a tendency just to rely on that one question. So what's behind that promoter score is, is my product or my, would you recommend my product or my company uh, to a peer or a friend? And um, the answer to that question on a scale of one to 10, um, it determines whether you know, the person is a, 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 an advocate, which you know, means they have to put nine or 10, which is really high up there and so on. Now, what that does is it tells you whether or not the company is interested in, uh, the person is interested in your company or your product, um, or whether they would recommend it and so on. But it doesn't really tell you why. It doesn't tell you why they're thinking that. So whether they're detractors or advocates, it doesn't really tell you that. And um, what has been lost a little bit is the need to go dig a little deeper. So when you do a survey, ask a few more questions before you ask that question. Um, and, and you see that, so if the question is just isolated, then you're probably not going to understand why. But if the question is following up at the end, at the end of a list of questions, and of course not too many, you don't want to turn the, the the customer off, so it should be five, six, seven questions that will help you understand why they answer 
um, what they did and understand what maybe you should eventually change in your tactics. So I think that's one thing that has been a little bit lost in some of the recent uh, net promoter score surveys that I've seen, whether it be me personally or that we've conducted. Um, then um, since one of my expertises or my main expertise is in digital and digital engagement, when you start putting um, campaigns, tactics, capabilities together, and especially web, very simply, you should be in doing what we call usability testing, which means that you should expose your, your wireframes, your prototype, whatever you want to call it, of your web page to an actual end user and say, hey, what do you think? Is this you know, something you'd like to engage with what's right or what's wrong with, what's, uh, with, with that page? And so you know, definitely worth doing. Not always easy to do, of course, and actually getting a physician to come in and be willing to test your, your, your web page, but certainly a, a worthwhile effort and then helps you, again, make sure that you have right from the onset, that first experience with the consumer is a good one. Then um, another one that we're looking into is what we call voice of the customer platforms. It's been around for a while. It's not necessarily a new, uh, a new notion. Um, probably though, we're doing it in a, in a sort of a channel agnostic way. What I mean by that is you would have a tendency to put a voice of the customer for that. It was just sort of a surveying function. And you'd put it at the end of a, um, it could be at the end of a face-to-face -face or at the end of an email, at the end of a, a virtual event and so on. But you wouldn't do it in a um, fairly consistent way or with different platforms. And then trying to gather data, of course, gets more complicated. So it's it's really having pretty much the same approach, the same technique, and the same way of gathering the data when you do that voice of the customer, regardless of the channel of engagement. And I believe that's one of the things, again, that will make a difference and help us get more customer insights, be able to tailor engagements, do more personalized approaches with our customers. Lots of helpful and handy tips there, Philippe. Um, mm. So the next thing I want to talk to you about is compliance. This is actually what I saw you talking about at the Reuters event sometimes mm -hmm. not the most exciting area, but I think it can be an exciting area when you're talking about it, especially in terms of customer experience. So obviously when farmers seeking to work on these digital products, it's really important to find a balance of doing something really innovative, but getting the compliance right, but then not ruining the innovative project so no one engages with it. How can companies strike the balance? So, I, so like as you said, I, I spoke on the subject uh, at the Reuters uh, Reuters Farm event, and the the question, the title of my presentation was uh, "Compliance and CX Opposing Forces?" Question mark. And um, what I was trying to prove throughout the presentation was that actually complying can help provide a, a good customer experience. Um, so. Data privacy, I think, is on you know is is on everybody's mind in one shape or another, one form or another, and even if people don't always pay attention and would have a tendency to click on the accept all cookie and so on, I still think more and more people are starting to be aware that maybe that's not the best thing to do. That too much of your data is being spread around by accepting all, and you have a tendency to want to reject, you know, or to say really only the necessary cookies. And um, what I was showing is that if you made that obscure or difficult for a customer to be able to do exactly that, either reject all or really uh, uh, accept only the necessary cookies, you are potentially providing a bad experience. So this is where compliance, complying and just saying, I want to be not obscure, I want to make it simple. So accept all, reject all should be side by side so that people don't have to go searching for it. Uh, and then same thing with you know, the option for accepting only necessary cookies. 
The other idea behind this too is just to make it simple. So if you're asking people to consent to something, how do you make it simple for them? How do you make it clear what the purpose is of what they're consenting to? Um, and, and then how do you also, when you're starting to gather customer information, um, and very important from a data privacy perspective, how do you make sure they gather only really what you need in terms of information? So if you're going to ask them what their specialization is, um, which we would do for an HCP, you know, well, use that um, because if you're not going to use it later on, I need to personalize and say, I'm going to provide you some content that's aligned. So if an HCP says, I've got an interest in, um, in ophthalmology, well, you know, you, you would try to, if you were in the ophthalmology business, you would try to provide them with ophthalmology content and so on. So really use the information, only gather what you need, and then use that information to be able to provide that personalized experience. There needs to be value in exchange for the information they're giving you. And again, that's how being compliant, really um, respecting data privacy rules can actually reinforce also the, the customer experience. Um, gathering insights on a constant basis is, is also something I think that's really important. Uh, you know, using that, so I, we've talked about data-driven customer experience, and I can definitely talk more about that later, but it's how you use the information. You're gathering insights with every interaction with your customer. You should really, again, be using that to personalize, to say, I need to provide things to you that are really relevant to you, your business, to your patients, um, so that, you know, you're getting value back. Mm, I really like your point there on value and personalization. I hadn't really thought about it in that way before. You think about it as more, you're just meeting legal requirements, but actually you can deliver a better experience if you have that information for that customer. So yeah, that's a very good point. Insights are an interesting one. And it's something I found really interesting at the conference. There was a lot of talk around, does everyone know the definition of an insight? Because it actually can be taken to mean many different things. What do you think is the most important insights to gain when it comes to customer experience? Well, it's actually um, uh, an interesting one because customer experience, you, you do have metrics for engagement. Um, and, and when you are engaging with customers, there's um, two things you could do. You could say, well, I'm going to build a history on my customer, which we just spoke a little bit about. I'm going to mm -hmm. build some history with every interaction. I'm going to learn more and more, and I'm going to gather more insights. Um, and the insight should also not just be about what's their preferred channel of engagement. It also should be about what are they consuming in terms of content, um, which you know we weren't doing initially. I mean, the focus was very much on channels and not enough on content. Um, but to be able to do that, you need to invest into tagging. Um, and, and tagging is probably seen as an obscure subject and certainly one where we spend a lot of time educating our or marketers on what the importance of properly tagging and tagging comes in many forms. So it, what tagging is, is sort of a common language um, across all the different, across the company marketers and marketing tactics. You can tag, um, so you can tag a website, you can tag an email, you can tag content, you can tag um, your paid media engagements if you're working with a social media provider and so on. So it, it there's, just an enormous amount of different things you can be doing from a tagging perspective. So, you know, invest in that tagging and make sure that the common denominators across all those different channels and channel tags are the same. So just for example, to be able to say, okay, um, I am engaging with this type of customer, so persona, um, and I'm trying to make sure that there's a consistent experience. Well, you should make sure that that persona is present in all your tags so that when you're getting the insights, you are getting the information back that you want. 
customer insights is very dependent on that, uh, on, on doing that properly and then being able to get the information back and then use that to again drive. So it should be sort of a feedback loop that you're establishing saying, okay, I'm getting more and more insights on the customer. I should use those insights to drive the next interaction. So it could be via AI, artificial intelligence, because it's a lot of the applications, but you could also just be doing it very simply just by mining the data coming back from your campaigns and your engagements with your customers. Um, so that's that's something I think that you know we we really would want to do. But think about this: if you are engaging with a customer for the first time, um, so you're launching a new product, the product is in a new type of pathology or therapeutic area that you you know you you just started engaging with. And we had the case with um, we've had the case with some products for uh, you know for when we were launching COVID COVID medicines. Um, how do you make sure that that first engagement with your customer is relevant and just a minimal personalized, right? So the personalization process always starts with that first engagement. And this is where I think you need to um, complement your own information, your own first party data with third party data. And probably you will see this more and more. So how do I work with um, Aviva, you know, as a company to get information from them that's possible now you can purchase uh, data from them uh, LinkedIn and so on and you purchase information from them to say okay I'm, I'm trying to build a new audience now or a new segment if you will I'm trying to build a new audience how do I make sure that I get people that are relevant to the information I'm trying to get to them um, so that they are aware of the therapeutic area and ultimately we get them to consider and so on and uh, be advocates for our, our products. So just moving them along the, the marketing funnel. Um, but it always starts with that initial first contact, which is not going to be about your product, but it's just, just trying to create awareness about the therapeutic area. And there you're working more often than not with third parties like social media or um, even Webscape or something like that, Medscape. Very interesting. So we've discussed a number of things ranging from what the issues are at the moment, what farmers doing well, other industries we can learn from and so on. But now I want to look into the future. What do you think organisations should focus on to stay ahead of the curve and deliver really exceptional customer experience going forward? Well, we're almost back to the initial question um, and, or, you know, and the whole thread throughout this conversation, which is about measuring um, your, your CX, your customer experience on a very constant basis. Do it all the time, measuring your CX, your engagements. And depending on the channel, that CX is going to be different. You know, the experience from an email and from a web page, of course, and face to face is completely different. So you'll have to establish different metrics. But each time establish those CX metrics so that you can get in insights back. Um, some, some companies, uh, some countries have invested more in something they call customer engagement scoring or customer engagement indexes, which is I put a weight on um, the engagement for each channel of engagement. And I then, you know, kind of mash that all up together and have a formula that says, okay, this is, I can tell from that cumulative engagement across all channels, what the overall engagement score is for a company. How, are they highly engaged, low engaged, disengaged, and so on? And use that on a, on a fairly regular basis. So I think that's one. The other thing too is just, um, uh, I think any industry, not just pharma nowadays, who isn't trying to develop personalization approaches is probably missing something um, or, you know, or, or, or no longer with us. But personalization has really become the name of the game. So how do I use that information to personalize? 
And I think that's one thing we learned from the pandemic um, when we're trying to communicate like crazy with our customers and we very quickly realized, well, wait a minute, if we're not providing them with relevant content, and probably that initial content is again not promotional in nature, but more unbranded or medical and so on. They want to be informed. They want to un want to be able to help their patients. So they're not necessarily interested in our um, in the first instance in our in our uh, promotion. They're more interested in you know what kind of information, clinical trial information, guidelines, and so on. Can I use that will help me and my, help my patients? And so you know all these insights on what makes them tick, what what is their need, um, how do I deliver? on that need and therefore deliver value that makes them want to continue to engage with me. So again, ultra focus on CX metrics um, across all channels, content and personalization, I think is really the, you know, the, the thing that we should all be doing in pharma with it, whether it's my company or any other company. And if we all do that, if you think about it, maybe we'll reduce a little bit of the noise of all the engagements, because if we all are providing only information that is relevant to our customers, not saying we shouldn't compete, but it will certainly help reduce that noise, I believe. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. And what what is one thing that farmers shouldn't do in the future? What should be left behind? Oof, that's an interesting question. Um, certainly, uh, what I would call what we used to call the the, the shotgun, uh, you know, communications, which is sending a campaign as broad as possible with emails to as many possible people as possible. So we definitely shouldn't be doing anything that would be completely against CX or, or, or relevancy. Um, certainly, you know, not paying attention to customer experience, not paying attention to what your customers are saying, not trying to measure uh, customer customer uh, interactions is just, you know, just completely out of the question. The other um, thing I think which is probably a bit more difficult is how do we go away from a pure brand focus to something which is more um, customer centric and cross brand? That's always been a bit difficult for us. You know, we always have our um, top products in each company and we have a tendency to want to promote them first and kind of forget a little bit about the others. And when we're working with a customer, they may be in the position where they are actually um, using multiple products. And so how do you make it again, um, make them in a situation, get them in a situation where they do not feel that they're getting spam because they're really receiving um, information from one part of the company, from another part of the company, and it's all coming at the same time. That's really something you'd want to avoid. So that is maybe one, one kind of um, new challenge that we have to face, which is to really slowly but surely get to more of a portfolio approach and away from a brand centering approach to much more of a customer centric approach. Very good. Uh, now, Philippe, for our last question of every podcast, we like to make it a bit more of a personal reflection. So mm. my question for you today to round off the conversation is, I've seen you speak at a lot of events, so maybe I know the answer to this question, but you might surprise me. Would you describe yourself as an extrovert or an introvert? Certainly not a closet introvert, uh, or, uh, in, in a sense, or a closet extrovert. No, I'm definitely an extrovert, and I probably wouldn't be uh, on this podcast if I wasn't an extrovert. Uh, and and yes, when you have you you mentioned you know the the pleasure of getting back into a face to face event. You know when we started our talk, um, coming back to Reuters was really you know after what four years of absence now was really something that was fantastic this ability to be able to network i mean it's something that's not always easy to justify when you attend an event oh i'm going there for networking but actually all these side conversations that you can have both with colleagues peers um 
defenders too. Defenders are actually thought, you know, thought leaders on their specific areas. And of course, they can talk at length about everything that we do, which in pharma we cannot do as well, you know, except in some very specific circumstances. Um, so yeah, definitely an extrovert. I really relish those uh, those kind of events and those situations. Philippe, thank you very much for talking to me today. Quite welcome. It was a pleasure, Isabel. Wow, fantastic to hear Philippe's thoughts there. You didn't reveal whether you thought he'd be an extrovert, though. <laughs> yes, no, I certainly did think he was going to be an extrovert. You can't always align public speaking and extroversion, of course. But yes, I had a sneaking suspicion that Philippe might be one. Um, aside from all that, though, do you have a key highlight that sticks out from your conversation with Philippe? Yes, I think my key takeaway was when he was talking about compliant collection or even sourcing of information about healthcare professionals and how that can actually lead to better customer experiences. I think a lot of the time when we hear compliance and customer experience, we don't think that they're going hand in hand. But by making the data collection process easy and simple, you're so much more likely to get more information about an HCP. And the point Philippe was making is that you can then use that information to personalize their experience, therefore giving them a better customer experience. So I thought that was a really good point. Ultimately, personalization is the prize and this process just makes it all the easier to claim. Personalization is the prize. Very catchy. But sadly, that does bring us to the end of today's episode. We are so happy to be back and we hope you've enjoyed listening. This is just the start of a brand new season of the podcast, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening from and be on the lookout for the next episode out next Tuesday. That's right. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Until then, it's bye from us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.